Welcome to episode 50 of the Page One Podcast. I'm Tarek. I'm Marco. Episode 50. We made it. A half century. It. Incredible. <laughs> 50 episodes, 49 guests. Is that right? And three listeners. No. <laughs> <laughs> Me, you, and my mum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, it, episodes, it's, it's an incredible milestone for us anyway. We never thought yep. we'd get here. And we've had some great guests on in the past. So if this is your first episode of the Page One Podcast, thanks for joining us. At the Page One Podcast, we'd like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing process, how they got into the industry, and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. And we have now got a great back catalogue of previous guests, people like Sarah Pimbera, Tim Levin, Joe Cornish, Alistair Campbell. There's a whole list of people there. If you go onto our website, the link's in the bio, or look on your podcast app, then you'll see all the past great guests, and hopefully there'll be some there that you're wanting to hear. Um, and we've got another great guest this week, but before we get on to that, Tarek, speaking of writing <laughs> and breaking into the industry, I believe you have some news that you could share with the listeners. I do. I'm very, very pleased to announce that uh, all the all the three three listeners out there can <laughs> look forward to purchasing my first book. You can buy it in October 2021, a year from recording, and uh, it's a detective thriller set in a fictional town of Cooper, Nebraska, and it's a. And what's it called? Welcome to Cooper. Sorry, I should have probably said that. Really. Yeah, that's. You're just getting to grips with the selling of this thing. <laughs> yeah, a long way to go. It is. It's a. It's a. It's a great uh, book. I have had the privilege of reading it, um, and uh, I would say it's very much in the vein of a sort of literary detective novel, noir almost. Yeah, uh, kind of go for that true detective kind yeah, of exactly. story. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I, so very excited. Very. Proud to host a podcast alongside you, <laughs> and also I hate your guts. <laughs> I can feel I remember, these two states at once. I will only be acknowledging people who buy the ebook version. Yeah, of course. exactly. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah, your, your publisher, of course, is an ebook specialist, so, so there's no yes, surprise there. That's of course, the, I will be pushing ebooks harder than ever. Now we <laughs> suddenly <laughs> understand <laughs> the uh, long game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's very exciting news, and uh, we will obviously let you know more about Welcome to Cooper uh, closer to the time of release. Absolutely. Um, but. On to this week's guest. On to this week's guest. This week we are chatting with Peng Shepherd, who uh, her first novel is The Book of M. It came out last year and to very wide acclaim, it won a number of literary arts awards. Mm -hmm. uh, it was chosen as the best book of the year by Amazon, by Elle, by The Verge. Uh, the Today Show were raving about it. It's, um, it's a fantastic, it's a kind of, how would you describe it, Marco? I, I think it's if you've read something like Station Eleven, um, it, it's in that sort of vein of a literary, uh, a, a post-apocalyptic thing, but not apocalyptic in the sense you might think. It's it's not a zombie disease. It's um, it, people's shadows start disappearing, and with those shadows uh, are the memories of the people. Um, it, it's a really unique and original idea, I think. And it tells a very personal story as well. You've got, you know, it's got a, it's got a good, exciting plot to it as well. But the characters in it are really, really uh, yeah. well crafted. I thought. Yeah, I think a lot of times when it's a 
post-apocalyptic kind of world, you know, more time is almost spent on the world itself and the destruction, etc. But yeah, this one really does take care of the character level stuff, and it's it's an excellent read. Yeah. Reminded me a little bit of the Leftovers, that kind of. Yeah, too. absolutely. Yeah, the, the the sort of what happens when you're left left behind, obviously, like exactly, the Leftovers, yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. and and it also had sort of things like the pat. If you've read the passage as well, that sort of you know, it, it's a really well-written literary genre book if you like mm-hmm. you know what i yeah. mean um so uh, we really enjoyed it and uh, we really enjoyed speaking to peng uh, so we'll get straight into the podcast after a quick advert for our writer's notebook page one and then we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest who is another great one absolutely but for now on with the podcast the blank page to some it's terrifying an obstacle to overcome But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project. Whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story, we truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember... Every story starts with page one. Did you always want to write? Was that always your goal? Uh, yeah, it was. Um, I've told the story a couple times, but I, when I was, um, I think about four or five, I wrote, quote, unquote, <laughs> my first book. Um, and uh, yeah, it was about, it was about a spider. I think his name was Stanley and he was very nice, but everyone was afraid of him, but he was so nice and he just wanted friends. And, uh, <laughs> and I, yeah, so I wrote it and I illustrated it and I showed it to my mom and I was like, look, I wrote a book and she, um, you know, bless her heart has always been so supportive, um, of that, that passion I had. And so she actually took the pages that I had, um, that I had written to her work and she got them laminated and then had like a little spiral, um, you know, spine put in it. And she brought it home and she was like, look, here's your book. 
And uh, I had thought published already. Published. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a great year. Um, Yeah, that was a great year. And then, uh, you know, eventually I found out that's not really how it works. But that was really part of it. It was so exciting. And I just, um, you know, kept writing ever since. Cool. And um, did you, you know, when did you sort of, decide right this is what I'm going to do for a career obviously I think you did um, the NYU MFA in creative writing is that right yeah so I um, actually I wrote obsessively all through like middle school high school um, and then I got to university and I was like right this now I'm going to do it now um, you know I can take classes in whatever I want and they've got creative writing here and I'm going to get an undergraduate degree in creative writing I'm going to write my first book and and then I just promptly chickened out and didn't take a single creative writing class my whole undergrad uh, because uh I don't know. I I guess it was just scary when you can finally go for it because then you can finally fail, you know? And so I actually got a degree from undergrad that had nothing to do with creative writing. And then I went on and got a master's in international studies of diplomacy, which also had nothing to do uh, with creative (laughs) writing. And I worked for, uh, I guess, like four or five years uh, in a really, it was really interesting, but it was also really high stress and really long hours kind of job and didn't write at all the whole time. And um, that was kind of at the end of those couple of years, I was reaching a point where um, I was either going to probably get promoted and it would really, um, you know, it kind of a, a point of no turning yeah, back. Yeah, kind and of I like you get on the train tracks and it's hard to get off of that. Right, point right, yeah. yeah. And so I just thought, you know, I... I think this job is interesting, um, but it's not, it is not, you know, my passion. It's not really um, what I had dreamed my whole life of doing. And so I just thought I've got to try, you know, before it's too late. Yeah. I mean, it's never too late, but I had, I felt like it would be, if I didn't try now, it would be a really long time before I'd ever work up the courage again. And so I applied to MFA programs uh, and I got into NYU quit my job, moved back. From, I was living in London at the time, so moved back from London to New York. Uh, and and then it went from there. Wow. And and I mean, that's obviously a, a pretty bold move to make. And, and <laughs> um, But I think you do have to follow that kind of urge and, you know, give it a shot at least, and, you know, and try. And and what what's it like? What's the, NFA, what's the MFA course like? What, what, what do you get taught on that course that you can then use afterwards? Uh, so I think a lot of, the, each program is really different. I've heard that, for example, at Columbia, I think they have a lot more classes, um, like on craft or reading or literature. Uh, the NYU program is a studio-based program, and that just means that there's a lot more time for you that you're just supposed to be spending writing rather than sitting in class listening to a lecture. So we actually only had one uh, craft class per week, and then we had one workshop per week, and you were supposed to be you know, writing the rest of the time. And so, um, I mean, I did learn a lot in the craft classes because it's, I had never been reading so much, um, you know, so quickly and talking about it in such depth because I'd I'd been working full time. And so Mm -hmm. I did learn a lot in the craft classes, but I think the most valuable thing about the MFA was that it gave me all that time to write. Mm -hmm. And it also gave me permission to be writing because, um, 
I mean, I had to, I had deadlines and it was yeah. for a degree and I had, you know, professors and other students waiting for my work in workshop. And so it really, um, it just, it, it taught me, I think, how to be professional about it and be yeah. dedicated the way that you really have to be dedicated if you're going to finish yeah. the whole novel. And that is interesting because I think so much you're writing must be the kind of psychological side of it of, you know, cause you can, everyone can, you can try and write on the side when you're working a job, but you're mm -hmm. totally right in that you're, you're going to get totally different and probably lesser work than if you're just immersed in the world of writing for that time. And you've, and yeah, and you do have that permission is probably the right word where you can, you're, you don't have to feel guilty about not, about not spending time with your family or whatever, because you've got all day to do some writing and, and, and that must make a massive difference. Just that mental switch. Oh, it was, it went from, like the the last priority in my life to being the first priority yeah, exactly and yeah that was huge and when you emerged from that uh that course <laughs> it, what, what uh you know were you were you working on the book of m at that time or was that something that came later what, what did you work on yeah uh so i spent the whole um degree working on a novel it was a fantasy novel that now lives in my drawer it'll probably <laughs> never come out but I love it so it's my baby um but I had I had a professor there named Darren Strauss who told us our first semester because everybody it was our first day of our first semester and we were all working on the novel that was going to get you know. <laughs> and, and he said to us I, I don't want to discourage all of you but I want you to be you know I just want to let you all know that oftentimes it is uh, I mean, it's already very rare and um, special to finish a book and get it published. But he said, it's not, it's definitely not going to be the thing that you're writing mm -hmm. in the MFA. It's going to be the thing that you start right after the MFA that really um, has a really good chance of being it. And that was what was true for me. The Book of M, I started um, right just a couple of months after I graduated, I think. And, uh, and that was the one that that made it and that book that you were working on during during the course did you did you even consider sort of sending that out and try to get an agent and trying to make that one work or did you think right that's been good but I'm now going to do something else I did I mean I sent it out but in a really informal way because at MFA programs there's often um, like once a year a kind of agent meet and greet where a couple agents will come and talk to you about you know talk to your whole class about what they do and how you work with them. And at the end of it, they often offer to kind of informally look at something you're working on if it's at a stage that they can, mm -hmm. you know, it's final or polished enough. And so I did give it to two agents who gave me really nice feedback, but it wasn't ready yet because it was only half written anyway. And uh, so by the time I had totally finished it, I knew that it was, um, you know, this really special thing for me and I had learned so much writing it and I will always love it but it was definitely not uh nobody else should read this book <laughs> <laughs> so um so book of m you know how did you I mean how did you come up with it because for anyone who's not read it it's a um, kind of it's a real cool mashup of like a literary post-apocalyptic kind of world where there's I won't give it away but there's a people start to lose their shadows and start to lose their memories along with it. And, and where did that idea come from? I, uh, well, so I grew up reading and loving genre fiction primarily. I didn't read a lot of literary fiction until I got to the MFA. And even though NYU is a genre friendly 
program, we mostly read literary fiction in our craft classes. And, and that was the stuff we were discussing. And so I think that's how it ended up being a mashup because I had all this personal history and love for genre fiction. And then this very newly discovered uh, love and study of literary fiction. And I, they, it just kind of bled, they just kind of bled into each other. Um, but the, the thing I started with was just the shadows because I thought, you know, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be cool if somebody lost yeah. their shadow? And then you say, you know what, what, okay. So one, one guy loses his shadow. What happens next? What happens next? Yeah. And what, what is your, what was the process for that? And what is your process generally? I mean, do you, are you someone that spends a long time researching and planning or do you sort of get the idea and just start and see where it takes you? Yeah. The second one, my right. process is I have absolutely no process. Okay. <laughs> I, um, I know that a lot of writers don't like the whole plotter versus pantser, um, you know, nomenclature, whatever. But mm -hmm. if we were going to use that, I am a hundred percent a pantser. I cannot plan anything. I cannot outline anything. Uh, I don't make like character sheets or timelines or, um, you know, anything like that. I just, get in there and make as big of a mess as possible mm -hmm. and then kind of see what I've got. And well, does that, does that, it's funny because we were speaking to someone else just recently and they sort of said that, that if people that don't outline, they'll do that first draft, but that first draft is almost like they're, you know, it, it, normally it doesn't come out that clean. So it's almost like a plan, a long plan, <laughs> if you like, that you can then work. Is that how it works for you? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I guess my first draft, you know, because I have no idea where it's going and I haven't planned anything, tends to be really, really long mm -hmm. and really meandering. And the characters kind of don't really know what they want yet or they don't know kind of who they're in love with. Uh, and they don't really say that much. They're just really quiet and they're just like walking to a bunch of places <laughs> and looking at a bunch of things. And, like all of us are together trying to figure out what's important here. You know, like me and characters. Uh, and so it... I mean, I don't even know if I could really call the first draft an outline for me either because it's just so big and um, it's almost more just like looking at a, a map of a place that you have never been to and you're just kind of looking at it and being like, right, okay, what what's interesting here? You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So well, I mean, here's, here's a world and what, uh -huh. what can I pull out from it kind of a thing. Yeah. And because um, obviously part of the book is about your... Um, your shadow gets lost and your memories kind of go along with that. And mm -hmm. and so and from what you're saying, the, the kind of idea, the kind of nut of the idea was the shadows vanishing. So I'm mm -hmm. assuming that the memory loss part of it came afterwards. And was that, I mean, when you when you sit down to write something, is it important to you to like, to tell a, to tell a important story? Like, you know, was it, because for me anyway, I definitely got a sense it was kind of like an Alzheimer's type um, kind of, allegory but was that is that maybe not something because I, and I wondered like, were you aiming for that you know from the start but was that something that just kind of came in organically and just slotted in nicely it um well you know the funny thing about it was the the memory loss came early because I uh once the first guy in the book lost his shadow and then it started spreading I had to I realized that I had to make it mean something you know because if you just lose your shadow but absolutely nothing else happens to you it's just kind of pretty but mm -hmm. it, it's yeah. not that serious so the memory loss was the first thing that came 
And I didn't get to the magic of it until I had finished the first draft because I realized that it still didn't really mean that much if just this beautiful thing happens to you and then it becomes really terrible, but there's nothing you can do about it and there's no other side to it. Um, and so the, the magic was really the, that was, I guess, what I discovered in the rewriting of it. Um, but you are, as I'm sure you two know, often so close to the material as you're writing it, that I didn't realize the kind of resonance it had with Alzheimer's or dementia or um, other kinds of memory loss until I had given the book probably in its second draft or something to a couple of, um, you know, writer friends who were also readers and they all commented on it. And you're like, yes, that is exactly what <laughs> <laughs> But I don't, I don't know, maybe, uh, but I, I sort of, I think that's maybe the best way because even though I didn't know that's what I was doing, I was, maybe it made it more true or more real than if mm -hmm. I had been purposefully trying to say something symbolic. Yeah, sometimes if, you, if you're if you trying to say something, it can come across as too for you know too yeah. forced in the story yeah. so yeah that that could be and and the story opens uh or it's got a very sort of cold open and then um the initial pair you you learn about uh, the first person that loses the shadow a bit later on into the book so was that a, was that as part of the process of rewriting that you decided to sort of restructure it in that way or or did you always have that first vision of of the of the deer on the road uh, that, yeah, that came pretty early. I think in the, in the very, very beginning, when I was just a few pages in, I thought that the story was going to be really short and it was just going to be between Ori and Max, who are the, the two main characters. And I thought, I didn't even know if they were going to leave that house that they starred in. Mm -hmm. And I, I had envisioned this really kind of tight domestic drama. But as I started writing, you know, I got past the deer and the whole world just kind of opened up, I guess. Uh, I, I was not intending to write. Uh, I think the book's about 150,000 words, so it's pretty long. Um, and it goes, you know, across multiple countries and it moves back and forth across two or three years, I think. And that was not, uh, I did not, you know, plan any of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's, every, it's changed completely from your, your small, short lo uh, location drama to a massive epic you know spanning years in the whole, the whole globe and and when you're writing that you know, I, I kind of wonder what your process is in terms of in terms of drafts you know when I mean how do you know how many drafts do you do as a starter and then how do you know when you've done enough drafts and when something's ready yeah um I think for the book of M, I did well I, I wrote the whole thing so I guess that's the first draft and then I revised it three times I think and um uh, it was, I don't know, I don't know if I could say how I knew or how one can know for sure that something's done, especially because it was my first book. And so my fear was that I would not know mm -hmm. when it was done because I'd never finished anything to that level before. Yeah. But um, I think, I, so it took about nine months to write the first draft and then I revised it. I did like three uh, passes over the next six months. And I remember as I was getting to the end of that third pass at the end of six months, um, there was just this feeling of like, I just, I kind of knew on a gut level that it was done. And 
I couldn't see myself anything else that I would change about it, you know, because yeah. even when I when I would finish the first draft or finish the first revision, I sent it to my friends. I already I still knew there were problems. I just didn't know how it was going to yeah. fix them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then kind of the same thing with the second draft. I knew there were still some smaller problems, but I just didn't know what I was going to do about them. And so that's I wanted people, my readers to tell me, you know, what what they thought. And but when I got to the end of the third draft, there was just this feeling of you know, no book is ever perfect. It can't be perfect, but it just felt complete in a way that it hadn't felt the first two times I hit the end of that revision. Yeah. And so I think for me, it's just a gut thing. I mean, it's interesting because it, it, especially if you're a first time writer, it can be very difficult to know, you know, you always feel, or certainly that I've found that you always feel like, oh, there's something else that I could go back and or maybe mm-hmm. that would work better if, if you did that. I mean, do, do you find do you, in between the drafts, you take a bit of time off and then go back to it almost with a fresh pair of eyes? Or do you just get it done and then go straight back into the next the next revision? Yeah, I wish I could do that. Um, but time <laughs> is really important for me. I have to take at least a month or two off, right. uh, which is the whole time you're just you're so restless and you're so impatient because you want to get back yeah. to it. But I really, if I go back too soon, I, I don't do anything to the draft that's worth it. And so yeah. that's been a really difficult but necessary lesson to learn mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, no, I can, it, it's, yeah, it's a valuable I, lesson to learn as well. I think, especially for people that are starting out, because I know mm-hmm. a lot of people who listen to the podcast are like that, that, you know, to take that time away from it, makes a huge huge difference actually yeah i find if i if i go back too soon i'm just like this is this is perfect and so so once you've done your your three drafts and your your gut was telling you it was ready to go what was your next step then how did you go about trying to get the book out there uh so the first so it was kind of throughout the third draft i had started looking for making a list of agents uh, and you know going through books other books that I loved, seeing who they thanked in their acknowledgments, because that's usually how you can find uh, agents. And then I also signed up for Publishers Marketplace, which is a really useful website because it just you know lists everyone there. And uh, so when I reached the end of that third draft, I made you know I made like a dream list, and then I made you know if those people don't uh, like my work, here's my second list of agents I really really love, and, and I tried to kind of organize it by who I thought would be interested in the kind of book that it was, because it is sort of a, it sits across a couple genres. And uh, then I just emailed them and, um, you know, spent the next week (laughs) (laughs) looking at every email, every ping from your, (laughs) from your email inbox. And and what, so what, you know, how, how long did it take to, to find an agent then? It well, um, I I think I was just so lucky uh, because it, it only took about a week. Wow, oh, wow. that's fantastic! Um, I know. It's so yeah, it <laughs> uh, it still felt like a year. I mean, I was still just <laughs> beside myself staring at my inbox. But it um, oftentimes what happens is you just kind of need one to read it and get interested. And then, you know, you are, it is polite to tell the others Mm -hmm. that someone is interested Mm -hmm. because they, you know, it's just polite. And so I did that and that's kind of often kicks off a a 
quicker reading for everybody else. Yeah, and then, you, you know, so yeah, uh, that, uh, was very surprising and very amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. Once you got the agent, then, um, did it take long to then find a publisher or was it quite a quick process there as well? Yeah, that ended up being, uh, pretty quick. The agent that I signed with, she thought, um, and, and I really liked this approach actually. So I was expecting to sign with an agent and then, I don't know, spend another like year or two revising or something, because that seems to be, you know, you, when you read different accounts mm -hmm. from different writers, often they say that they sign and then, but, uh, my agent said that she thought the book was ready enough to go to editors and that she could, you know, make me revise it a couple more times, but that she was worried that if you, if she and I were to revise it a lot, it would be something that she would want to publish, not mm -hmm. something, you know, it would become kind of her book almost rather yeah. than my and my yeah. editor's book. And so she wanted to leave room for the editor to be able to see themselves in the book and uh, to work with me on that. And so I think she and I tweaked it for about another week and then we so I got, I signed with her in one week. And like, I mean, out. I hate, I, I hate you, Ping. I hate you. <laughs> it was, I mean, uh, I don't know, but I did, I mean, I think after I, the book was bought, my editor and I did, uh, did we do two rounds? And that was, I don't know, probably nine months when all was said and done, I think. So I did end up, you know, revising it with my editor. Uh, after it was sold, but the the process at the start of it did go; it went really fast. And then once you'd once you'd signed with the with the with the publisher, um, and mm -hmm. you you got some notes from them, I take it on on redraft and stuff. You know, what, what's your approach to receiving notes? Because obviously we've had this chat with a few folk before in the past, and and there's always that kind of you know gut reaction of I don't like what that really much. You know, you put that to one side. And how do you deal with with notes? And if you don't agree with them, and what, what's your process for that? Yeah, uh, I I love notes actually, and I don't get um, even if they're pretty tough. It doesn't really hurt me. It just feels like you know we're just talking about my book. We're not talking about mm -hmm. me, mm -hmm. and I just want you know each book that I write to be the best book that it can be. And so it's all right if the notes are harsh or extensive or. Um, uh, but I don't remember. I don't remember disagreeing with any of the notes from my editor. Um, they were mostly notes of like, could you, you know, clarify this or that, or can you make the love story more apparent in this part? Or it's been kind of a long time since we've heard from so-and-so, maybe they can come back. And so it just felt like um, really, really um, important refining that my editor and I were doing of the story. Yeah. And so I don't think we really had a conflict over anything, uh, which was, I mean, that's, that's easy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you've had the dream process basically from, from start to finish. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it doesn't make it any less terrifying, I guess. But... <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, obviously the book in a way as well, and I have to ask this question, I hate having to ask it, but, you know, given everything that's going on in the world at the moment, um, the book is kind of like a pan a, a pandemic type book. Um, 
yeah, this e- epidemic of oh, that, that that takes away people's shadows, and now, of course, there's this COVID. I mean, obviously, you wrote it well before the current epidemic, but mm-hmm. it struck me that there's, you know, the the bits in the in the hotel after the wedding when they're watching the news, when they're going into town to buy food and this panic and all this sort of stuff, that that all I felt was quite, you know, it's turned out to be quite an accurate portrayal. I mean, was there anything that you wrote having now experienced what COVID is like? Obviously, it's a, diff- a different thing that, that makes you think, oh, maybe that bit in the book should have been different or anything like that. Oh, um, different, I don't know. It's been really eerie, for sure. Um because yeah, I was I wrote the first draft in 2016, and you know the book came out in 2018, so it was well before. Um, and I, I remember writing little things like there were some people that hoarded, you know, 40 something bottles of shampoo in there. Yeah, <laughs> and at the that, time that I, was a line that held up to me as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but at the time when I picked that, I was trying to think of just the most ridiculous, useless thing that nobody would hoard. It was just supposed to be the symbol of of panic and helplessness. And then, you know, that really started happening. And um, yeah, it was just really eerie. I think the, there's a scene, well, I mean, it's kind of an extended scene that part of the book is set at this wedding that happens two years. I mean, it happens at the beginning of the shadowless epidemic, which is two years before the the rest of the book happens. Uh, But that for me, I think was the most poignant thing, because especially here in the US, I think that a lot of people didn't really understand how serious this was going to be until it was right on us. And that is how the characters at that wedding um, kind of very innocently act as well. I mean, they're all at this wedding that I think at that point, the shadowless pandemic had taken over like Panama and Brazil yeah. and, it, and a couple of um, East Asian countries. And they're just at a wedding drinking champagne. And then all of a sudden it's in Boston and, yeah. you know. Yeah. No, I, like, as I say, I thought, I thought there was a lot <laughs> that struck home, as you say, quite eagerly um, yeah. to, to what's happening now. Um, and your next book coming out next year is uh, The Cartographers. Um, are you able to tell us a bit about that at the moment or not allowed to? Uh, I can't. Yeah, I can. We are, um, I think I have one more big revision on it, so okay. it's not totally done yet, but um, it's, um, it is about some cartographers. <laughs> and, um, it's, a, it's about a young woman who, um, finds a map in her father's thing. Her father's just passed away and he, she finds a map in his things that seems like worthless. It's, it's just like a tourist map. Um, but then a bunch of strange things start happening and she very quickly realizes that this map is actually incredibly valuable and incredibly rare. And a lot of people are after it, but she doesn't know why. And so the, the book is a kind of a mystery about why this map is so valuable. So, nice. Sounds like a brilliant concept. Yeah, I like that a lot. And, and so obviously you're working on that right now and you're doing revisions and, uh, you know, how how is the process going and, and what's, what's your thoughts on lockdown writing? Is it made it easier to do revisions or has it made it harder? Uh, well, um, I don't know if lockdown so much has been the really difficult thing because I work from home already. I'm not really like a coffee shop writer or... Um, 
you know, like a get in a group of mm-hmm. writing friends and have a mm-hmm. write in or whatever they're called. I, I pretty much just uh, sit at my desk uh, in my house. So that hasn't changed that much, but I think it's really true what they say about second books. They are so <laughs> much harder. So much harder. So that has been uh, really a challenge. And have you had as well the, the challenge from the point of view of a deadline? You know, did you have to hand in the manuscript by a certain time? I did, yeah. And it wasn't, the, I feel like my editor was really generous with my deadline. She asked me how long it took to write the Book of M and revise it. And, and then I told her, and then they gave me the same amount of time. So it wasn't that it was any shorter or anything, which I know is usually what mm-hmm. happens to people when they write their second books. It's, you know, you had a zillion years to write your first book and now you have, I don't know, six months or one year or whatever. But um, it it was more just, I think it's also that I chose to write a really plotty story, but I'm a pantser. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the the book of them obviously has a plot, but it's a, it's a journey story and it's primarily about the relationships of these characters and how much they love each other. And can they find each other again? Whereas the cartographers is very much a mystery. And so I have all these clues that I have to make, make sense. And I, you know, I have to figure out who the villain is and I have to figure out why this map is so valuable and and what is the secret. And that is very hard to do if you don't plan (laughs) anything like me. So that, um, I think that was the, the big thing is that I was, I I am, uh, you know, writing a very, uh, you know, a much more tightly plotted mystery uh, with the added pressure of it being a second book. And, you know, also lockdown. (laughs) It's all, I mean, (laughs) it's It's all happening at once. And was it, was it a two book deal when you first signed your, signed for the book of M or was it, or did you go first and have to get a second deal once the first book had come out? Yeah, I, it was a, the book of M was a one book deal. I didn't have, um, enough of any next idea I think to present anything and so we just went with the one book deal but I had such a great experience with um, William Morrow who's the publisher and I love my editor so much and so I think about a month after the book of M came out I said to my agent should we you know just talk to her about a second book now and so we wrote up a little pitch um, which is also very hard to do if you don't plot <laughs> you know I, she said we'll come up with a pitch i was like i don't it's not how i work <laughs> no how to do that um but i you know i tried and gave her a couple of pages and we talked about it and she was really on board with the idea and then that's the um so we sold the second book to her based on that pitch cool so you just based it was kind of like a is that was that on spec basically kind of like just pitched the, the idea and they liked the idea so much that they bought they, they bought yes. the book yeah 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 awesome and and the book of M, of course, was a huge success as well. Which, um, what did it feel like when when it started getting the acclaim that it did? Um, I think it was named as the best book of the year by Amazon, L, uh, Refinery Twenty Nine, The Verge, and various other things yeah. as well. So, yeah, just unbelievable, really. You know, um, I I had no idea. To, I mean, to me, it was just my weird baby you know <laughs> I um and especially because it was kind of spread across uh multiple genres and um there were a lot of things that you know like it's a pandemic story but it's really just a love story 
you know, but there are these really kind of magical and also kind of scary things happening at the same time. And I, I didn't know if people were going to love all of that together or mm-hmm. if it was be too confusing and too strange. And so I was, you know, not prepared at all for um, <laughs> any of the amazing things that happened. So I'm just so grateful and still kind of mostly don't believe it. And it's it's now also been sold for a TV show as well, which must be super exciting to know. I mean, what's happened with that? Is yeah. that you can tell us? Are you involved in the writing of it at all, or what's what's happening? Um, we're not. It's not quite at that stage. I think they are in the process of looking for a writer now, and then you know the pandemic kind of shut everything down. Yeah, so I think they're we're still in the stage of looking for a writer, but everything is moving much more slowly because everyone's working from home and. Yeah. Uh, things like that. But I'm, um, yeah, I'm really excited to see who they find. And Is it something that you would like to be involved in, 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 in terms of the writing? Or is it the kind of thing where you think, actually, I've I've done my bit and I want someone who knows about t- TV stuff to do their bit? And what, what, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that they should definitely find a, a screenwriter for the actor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I've, I've never written uh, a TV script before and um, you know, so I'm, I'm not the expert in that. I would be, you know, thrilled to give, you know, background information or, or just talk with them. But I don't think I'm, I would not be a good writer to write the script for my book. Uh, would you be interested in writing, you know, doing a screenplay at some point in the future or are you just not interested in screenplays you just want to write prose i'm not sure they seem um actually they seem sort of fun because novel writing is such a solitary thing Mm -hmm. you know like eventually you do reach the point where you're giving it to your agent or your editor or um you know your your first readers to talk about that but at that point you've probably already been you know writing this thing alone for a whole year and um it sounds like, especially with TV, a lot of the writing happens in a group and yeah. they're all bouncing ideas off each other. And so that sounds really interesting and cool to me because it's so different than uh, what I do. And it also seems like you you just wouldn't get stuck as often mm-hmm. because so much of novel writing is just yeah. sitting there trying to figure your way out of whatever <laughs> hole you've gotten yourself into. Yeah. Nobody to ask about it because nobody else has read what you've written. Uh, but if you were in a room with a bunch of other writers who knew the same story, you could just riff off each other. And, and, uh, I just think that momentum would be really fun. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I know sometimes like I'll get stuck in the thing and I'll try and speak to Tarek, but then I have to, you know, it's difficult because he's not read the rest of it. So you have to kind of try and explain <laughs> a huge aspect of it to then try and get help, get a solution out of it. It's so collaboration yeah. is, is good sometimes. I think definitely. Um, yeah. And also on the just staying on the TV thing a minute, I was just, you know the, the book of M is something that you know you've come up you've come up with these characters you've created it in, in your head and suddenly it's it's come to life in book form and it's going to come to life on the TV. Are you apprehensive in any way about letting someone else play with these characters that you know you lived with for so long when you were creating it? Or are you quite excited to see what they do with it? Uh, I think just excited. Um... I've watched, what have I watched that's been a book too? Uh, so I watched some of Game of Thrones, no spoilers, because I stopped watching the show. <laughs> I stopped watching the show. I think I'm the only one in the world who stopped watching the show at the point that the books stopped. Oh, okay, so yeah. All right, okay, so okay. I'm through about, I'm still like the first couple episodes of season five, and then I 
I'm going to wait for the books. And then I, so I don't even actually know the end of the TV show. <laughs> I managed to avoid it on wow. the internet. Okay. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's impressive. I mean, I would say that for me, the, the show actually got a lot better once it moved away from the books because it kind of I feel like it kind of freed itself and it, oh, it started moving a lot faster and um, uh-huh. yeah for me I thought that's when it picked up quite a bit so it'd be interesting but I've never read the books at all so I don't know how it uh, compares okay. at all I mean you could um, be waiting forever to watch the end of the TV show <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, I don't mind I mean I um yeah I don't mind waiting I just um because I started with maybe I'd feel differently if I'd started with the TV show yeah. but I started mm-hmm. with the book so I want to read the story as a book first yeah, yeah. um but what I was going to say about that is, uh, so I've read the Song of Ice and Fire series and I've seen most of the TV show and then the same with uh, The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. <clears throat> and in both instances, when the show started, everything was so different than how I'd been picturing when I read. I mean, just so different. Um, mm-hmm. And by, you know, a couple episodes, the first couple episodes were just really jarring and confusing and I just kept thinking like that that's not how I saw this character it's not really how I thought they would sound or what they would look like and then after a couple episodes I was just so invested and it was such a neat um other way to to look at this story you know and so I just think the um the whole thing was just the whole experience was just deepened for me rather than, you know, clashing with each other. So I think, but I'm hoping the same thing would happen with the book of M that I would just be very surprised with everything that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the actors or the, the settings or whatever, but I would in the end just end up, you know, loving it for that difference. Yeah. We were actually having a chat earlier on just before before we started about um, the leftovers and that's a show, which I think actually your book reminded me a lot of that kind of, that same kind of worldwide impact and but on a character level not on a epic level it's like a it's mm-hmm. a character study and um and I've, i i love the tv show and i read the book after i'd watched the show and i enjoyed the book a lot but i totally get what you mean that the tv show it, it, it took the premise of it and it used the the longer running time etc to really expand the the whole idea of what would happen if three percent mm-hmm. of the world vanished and and to take it in into, into far further than the book ever did and, and I enjoyed the book a lot but I think I actually liked the TV show more because it had that opportunity to go a lot a lot deeper so yeah mm-hmm. I think there's there's always the risk that yeah the TV show is not, not as good as the book but it could be a really nice companion that really expands it in a way that you, you couldn't do in the book right yeah yeah, that's 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 very exciting. And so, I mean, you're you're working on uh, revisions for the the cartographers, but have you? You don't need to tell us the name of it or anything. But have you have you got an idea for your next your next book? Have you started on your next book, or you, is something in your head? I have the kind of the barest idea of a premise. That's always how it starts for me. I usually mm-hmm. get a premise first, and then I have to figure out who's who are the characters in it and what's the story. Uh, And so I'm just sitting on this premise because I don't work. I can't work on multiple things at once very well. I just feel like I end up doing them all badly. And so I'm waiting to start on it properly until the cartographers is, you know, fully into production and I'm not doing any edits on it anymore because I don't think I could juggle them that well. So it's, um, it's sort of frustrating because it's exciting and it's the shiny yeah. new idea and you want to get started, yeah. but it's also kind of nice because by the time you reach, you know, the final revision with the book you're working on, you're excited for it, but you're very tired. You know, it's, it's a big, you know, a, a novel is just a huge amount of work. And so I get to 
keep this little shiny new idea <laughs> and it's going to stay in its shiny, you know, it's probably yeah. going to stay that way for at least a couple more months. And so it just gets to be all fun and not scary and difficult yet. So that's sort yeah. of, it's sort of fun. It's always that moment of you've got this idea in your head and you know how it makes you feel ever. And you're like, and then and when it comes to trying to translate that onto the page and you're like, it's just, it's not working and it's, it's a lot harder, but you're right with that moment before you start writing is the yeah. best time. Cause it's a perfect story. Yeah. And if, as long as it stays in there, it'll always be perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's just perfect. <laughs> yeah. I just need to put this on the page. It must yeah. be easy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I also find with new, somehow when I get a new idea, I'm, think about it and sort of say that's that's brilliant you're you're somehow more attracted to that idea than yeah. than working on your the revision of whatever yeah. it is that you're working oh, on crap. Yeah. what am i doing with this rubbish this is, this yeah. is where it's at yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> hey, what was the last book that you read oh the last book that i read uh it was called black sun i think it's not out yet for another maybe a week or two. I mean, it's coming out. Pretty, so whenever this podcast airs, it comes out in mid-October. So right. it, okay. um, it is fantastic. It is the first book. It's by Rebecca Roanhorse, and it's the first book in a fantasy trilogy. And it was the book, uh, I read it to blurb it, and it was the book that finally got me started reading again, uh, kind of during the pandemic. Because in the beginning, I was having, uh, I think a lot of People were having a lot of trouble focusing and reading. And I had spent the first month or two, maybe even three, just kind of trying to start books and bouncing off of them mm. and feeling really terrible because I wanted to read and I wanted to get lost in a world, but I just wasn't wasn't able to calm down enough to immerse. And her editor sent me the, the advanced reader copy and I opened it expecting to not be able to handle it and, and you know, not not be able to finish it to write the blurb. And I read it in like two days. Nice. It was just, like, I forgot to eat. I didn't go to bed on time. <laughs> it, was just, it was, it's so engrossing. And so uh, it's just, it's so great. Brilliant. Black Sun, is that what it's called? Yeah, Black Sun. Black Sun. And, and do you get saying quite a lot of books now? Now you've had your first book out there. Do you get asked to do that quite a lot? Is that quite a responsibility you feel that you it, should uh, do that to help people? I, yeah, I really like to because blurbs are such a terrifying part of the publication process. And I remember being so stressed out and nervous uh, that, you know, to find even just like mm -hmm. one person that would blurb my <laughs> book. And so I try to, um, unless I'm really, really late on a deadline or something, I try to accept almost everything, um, you know, to read that, uh, that is asked of me. And uh, if I can finish the book, then uh, I try to offer a blurb. Nice. And it's, I, I love it because you're, um, you know, you're getting a sneak peek. Yeah. And, uh, and then you get the chance to say something about, you know, a book that, that you love, that you read and you loved. And uh, it's, Ooh. yeah, I, I think it's really fun. What happens what you, if, oh, if uh, I think I was going to ask the same thing yeah. as you, what happens if you get sent a book that you don't, that you end up, you know, it doesn't connect with you. How do you deal with that, you know, nicely? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, if, so I would never blurb something that I didn't finish. I have to read the whole thing. Okay. Uh, and, and so usually if I'm not connecting with it, I just am not able to make it to the end. And, um, and then it usually ends up being a function of deadline because you, some people send the books very early, but sometimes you don't actually have a lot of time to read it. And so if I'm, 
struggling to to finish the book and I I know that it's not really going to be for me and that I might not be able to give a good blurb it usually just ends up that I kind of accidentally run out the time trying to reach the end anyway mm -hmm. and yeah. then um I I always email and say I'm I'm sorry but I just wasn't able to finish it but I you know I wish the book all the best and you know nobody li I don't like doing no, that no no of course, no, no, of course I also not. don't yeah, want to yeah. I think it wouldn't help anyone for people to blur books that they didn't connect no, with it kind of cheapens the whole point of it doesn't it the, the point of it is that it's meant to be a genuine thought that or genuine appreciation of a book right. that you've yeah. read yeah exactly yeah and if and if I don't connect with the book I'm not going to praise it in a way that is going to tell readers if it's yeah. the book for them also exactly. yeah, yeah. Exactly. so i don't yeah it's always a little awkward it doesn't happen that often actually um but it's it's awkward but i would rather do it that way than offer a blurb that that doesn't help the author either yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. um and what about the last film that you watched the last film oh searching oh, oh the, that the john Cho movie yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that's brilliant so I remember going to in, in in the cinema and not having you know much expectation really, but I didn't know you know, but I couldn't believe how good it was. For the concept of it is, you know, I, they stretch it. They make it so imaginative how they do this whole film from just search bars or internet screens, blah blah. Oh and yeah, it's it's, um, it's so well done. It's genuinely a really good film. Yeah, yeah. I'm a I'm a structure nerd for like books, movies, anything that has like an interesting structure or jumps in time or some kind of a frame. I love that. And so I went into it. That's why I wanted to watch it so bad. And I, I remember thinking the same as you, like, how, how are they possibly yeah. going to pull it off when the whole movie is just a computer screen and it's only things you can do on a computer screen that can tell a kidnapping mystery and they did it. And it's so yeah, good. It's, 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 it's amazing how well it works. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's definitely, definitely worth a watch when I haven't seen it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, what was the last TV show that you watched or are watching? Last TV show. Oh, I'm about to start. Um, I don't know how I'm so late on all these things. I'm about to start the final season of Shit's Creek and the final oh. season of Good Place. And oh. I've also made oh, it to nice, nice. the end either. <laughs> I mean, do you just not go on the internet at all? <laughs> I'm really, yeah, I'm really good at. I have a lot of self-control at not looking at the spoilers myself because I really don't like spoilers. I'm uh -huh. very anti-spoiler. Uh, and then ahead of these kinds of things, I just go through Twitter and mute all the keywords I can think of and oh, that okay. you yeah. care most of it. Yeah. Um, and the, the very last thing we always do is a super quick either or. Um, so you just, you just have to pick one and there's no right answer apart from one question, which we'll okay. come back to. So first one <laughs> is uh, Station Eleven or The Passage. Oh, man, I read them both and I love them both. Station 11. <laughs> no, Passage. No, Passage. Fair enough. Um, TV or cinema? TV. Uh, fancy restaurant or a takeaway? Takeaway. Uh, well, this is the this is Tarek's question. This is the one you can get right or wrong in his, in his view. <laughs> uh, real book or ebook? Oh, real book. Incorrect, I'm afraid. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to bring this to an end. You know, well, you know what it is about real books? I like to be able to see how much is left. Of is yeah, that that's true. Is that a percentage of the book? Oh, I know, but it's not, it doesn't make it's as more much accurate. sense. It's way more accurate. <laughs> <laughs>
I'll be honest, I am amazed how she's managed to avoid any spoilers. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> I mean, whenever I've tried to use mute on Twitter, it doesn't seem to do anything. No, as I, as I, I obviously tell. don't do it probably because yeah. I find if the, the only way I can do it is just avoid the internet. Yeah, that's right. However, six weeks, however long I'm waiting for a film to come Delete, <laughs> Delete Twitter, delete Chrome, delete yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, uh, hopefully she'll enjoy it if she ever gets to watch it because she's relying on... On the books being finished yeah, first. It might be a while. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> be a few years before she gets to watch it. Um, but I, I really enjoyed that chat with Ping. I thought it was yeah, really it was interesting. Great. And also, as I said, uh, half hater because of the, <laughs> the, the way that she uh, got picked up and got a publisher so quickly. I've, I've never, I think I might be the fastest person I've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, I mean, the novel is fantastic. Yeah, it is. I can yeah. totally see why it got snapped up. And it's, it's in some ways, I suppose it's nice to see that that is still possible. Mm hmm. You know, because you hear a lot of horror stories going the other way. So it's, but it's, it's incredible. And I suppose it's one of these things as well that I'm, I'm saying that she got, you know, it had a very quick process, which she did, but it's as ever, it's sort of like at the end of a long process. You know, she yeah. went through the creative writing course, she wrote another book and then revised that book. So, you know, there's a lot that goes on into these overnight success type things. So true. It's, all you ever hear is the, the end result. You yeah. don't ever hear about the years. That went into the point before submission, yeah. etc. Yeah. But I, I, th- I th- like genuinely, if you haven't picked up the book of M, I would highly recommend it. If it sounds like your sort of thing, because it's great, and I, uh, as you say, Tarek, I can totally understand how someone, an agent, picking up that manuscript and reading that first chapter goes. Yeah, this is good. I'm, I'm yeah, going, I want absolutely. a bit of this. Yeah, absolutely. definitely. So thanks very much to Peng for coming on to the podcast and taking the time to speak to us. We really enjoyed that. Um, next week we've got another great guest. We do. Next week, we are chatting with Mr. Joe Abercrombie, the uh, fantasy author uh, Magnifique. Yeah, the the author of uh, the First Law trilogy. The Blade itself was his first book, and more recently, he's got a new trilogy. Um, He's in the midst of that, the Age of Madness trilogy, um, which is, I think, the most recent book is The Trouble with Peace. Um, But they're really great fantasy novels, even if you're not the sort of person that thinks I want to read a fantasy novel. they're, They're both very grounded and very humorous as well. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, the, the characters are are very realistic, but also just darkly humorous and sort of quite a lot of them are pretty despicable sort of people, but they're enjoyable to read. Yeah, I've been listening to them on Audible, on the audio mm-hmm. audiobook version, and the uh, the guy doing the Audible versions is fantastic. So if you're into, if you're thinking of audiobook versions, yeah, he's a, he does a great reading of them. But yeah, they're fantastic books. Yeah, uh, so... Uh, yeah, definitely recommend picking those up and definitely recommend tuning in next week to hear what Joe himself has to say about him. And Absolutely. also how he moved. He was a, a TV and film editor and, and then moved into writing. So that's an interesting path that he's had as well. Um, before we go, I just want to say uh, again, thank you for tuning in for our 50th episode. Um, if you enjoyed it, it really helps if you're able to leave a quick review and rating on your podcast app. It really helps us climb the charts, which helps us to continue to get these great guests on the podcast. And we hope to do another 50 episodes. This is only At the least. beginning. Yes, exactly. And uh, of course, if anyone has any questions or comments, uh, you can always send them to uh, podcast at rightgear.co.uk or you can send us a tweet to at right underscore gear. Yeah, so that's all from us and we'll see you next week. See you next week.